0: woman rushed to see her doctor. She woke up in the morning and she looked in the mirror and she looked so bad. She said her hair was all wiry. Her skin had gotten pasty and wrinkled and her eyes were bloodshot and bugging out. And she said, I had this corpse-like look on my face. So she got an appointment with her doctor and said, what's wrong with me, doctor? And he looked her over for several minutes doing the regular things doctors do. And he calmly said, well, I can tell that there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. So that's all he had to say, <clears throat> but how often we think about our physical, um, how we feel or how we look to the neglect of our spiritual, and Paul is going to address wisely how we should be praying for one another as a better focus than often our prayers are so limited. Oops. Anyways, um, I receive a monthly update from the ministry called Voice of the Martyr they send out a great deal of information regarding believers who are imprisoned for their faith in many different countries. <clears throat> All of these men and women have been taken away and from their families, from their ministry, and they suffer greatly. Some are imprisoned in shipping containers and whatever. And so I add my prayers to those of their families for endurance, encouragement, and the release. Well, as Paul begins chapter 3, he wants his readers to understand that he was in prison, but he didn't just view as being in prison as a result of the Roman emperor. He saw himself as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. He believed that God was sovereign over all the affairs of men and of government. So he calls himself a prisoner of Christ, and he was a prisoner on behalf, he says, of the Gentiles. You recall from the book of Acts that what led up to the arrest uh, in Jerusalem And the resulting imprisonment for Paul was the Jewish opposition when he brought up bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. Paul boldly taught that Jew and Gentile were one in Christ. And that's when the riot broke out. He was arrested and so on. So as Paul begins chapter 3 with the words, for this reason, hold that thought. He's going to pick that up in verse 14. He has uh, an inter, he's interrupted the spirit of God Decides that he's going to bring clarification about the mystery of the church in verses 2 through 13 And as you know a mystery in the bible is not the meaning that we often think of today I love a good mystery trying to solve a you know who did it kind of thing But rather a biblical mystery is a truth that was previously hidden from god's people But has now been revealed in the new testament It's amazing to think of all the godly men and women that we've studied through the years in the old testament who were given prophecy and revelation, and yet they never had the privilege to know the truth about the church. They knew Gentiles would become believers, but they did not know these truths. We saw last week that Gentiles, once dead in their sins, once far off from God, strangers to the covenant, strangers to the promises, are now fellow citizens with God's kingdom, Jew and Gentile alike. Before Paul gets into his prayer for these believers in verse 14, he's going to clarify, as I said, the amazing truths about the church. Of Jesus Christ, Sinners from every kind of background and diversity all become one in the body of Christ. <clears throat> Paul is willing to suffer and go to prison for these truths he calls the mystery of Christ, in re- reference to the church. So let's look at the mystery of Christ. Paul received truth of this mystery from God directly. If indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you. Paul is now going to explain that he was a prisoner of Christ because of his preaching to the Gentiles, and his authority for what he preached came from the Lord. Paul was given a stewardship of God's grace. In ancient times, a steward was someone entrusted uh, to care for something that belonged to somebody else, and they would dispense it according to how they were told to do so. And Paul is saying that God had chosen him so that he would dispense the good news of God's grace uh, to the Gentiles. Being faithful as a steward is the reason he was in prison. Paul is explaining all of this so that the believers who read this letter will not be discouraged by him being in prison. Paul paid a high price to be faithful as a steward. He believed these truths were worth suffering for. <clears throat> as one commentator stated, these Ephesians believer, believers, most of whom were probably ordinary common slaves, have been included in this eternal plan and scheme of God. Do you realize the trouble to which God has gone to in order that you and I might be redeemed and rescued and might become saints and might eventually spend our eternity in his glorious presence? Do not faint because of my tribulation, says Paul. Do not think so much of my chains in prison. Think rather of this amazing thing that God has done. A stewardship of the grace of God has been given to me for you. Paul goes on to say that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in brief. It's likely referring back to what we saw in chapter two. A Jew and Gentile are equal in the body of Christ. The mystery of the church, which is in in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So as the apostles grew in their understanding. Peter had the vision, you recall. They came to understand that, oh, this message, this good news is for Jew and Gentile alike. We are one in Christ. This divine secret that only God had known had been revealed to the apostles in the New Testament so that they would proclaim it to all. And the revelation of the mystery, to be specific in verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery that was hidden in the heart of God is now explained. All believers, regardless of who they are and where they've come from, have equal status and share in equal blessings from God's promises. As you know, this was shocking for the two people groups that Paul was writing to at the time. I I realize in our day, uh, Jew and Gentile in the church is not a big issue. But all people, the point is, all people, regardless of skin color, economic, or educational background, have the exact same blessing, privilege, and status in Christ. All believers are to show the same respect and love for each other. The truth of the mystery of the church that Paul has clearly revealed to us really is the answer to all racism problems and conflicts. Paul explains the mystery in verse 6 by stating that all believers are fellow heirs, fellow fellow members, and fellow partakers of the promise of God. To be an heir refers to an inheritance that all believers have, and they equally share in that inheritance. No one group gets a little less than somebody else. Many of you know from personal experience the horrors and conflicts that arise because of one family member uh, getting more than another family member. When a parent's or a relative's will and inheritance was given out. But the spiritual riches Paul spoke of, as you saw in chapter one of Ephesians, are equally given to every single believer. Our redemption, our forgiveness, our adoption belongs to every believer. There are no spiritually poor believers. Scripture makes clear that everything in the universe belongs to Christ. And then we are told that believers are joint heirs with Christ. And so as his children, we have inherited what he has. What a contrast to what we have before coming to Christ. We have nothing but a life of sin and death. But now we've inherited everything because of the grace of God. The mystery of the church is also defined by the truth that we are fellow members of the body. And how is that different from being a fellow heir? At the time of Paul, a man could leave an equal share of his inheritance to his son and to his servant that he'd come to love, and they would be fellow heirs. However, a servant would still be a servant and not really a part of the blood relationship that the son had. But in Christ, every believer is joined together, fused together so that we share the same life with each other and as part of the same members of the same body and family. Again, we see this emphasis to help us understand that there are no class distinctions in the church. Jew, Gentile, black, white, man, woman, rich, poor, educated, uneducated, all are members in equal standing in the body of Christ. Paul clarifies this over and over again, 1 Corinthians 12, for example. But such a reminder is there that we never show favoritism towards anyone mistreat or treat better than should be treated as james condemns in chapter two of his small book fellow heirs fellow members of the body of christ and fellow partakers of the promise in christ jesus through the gospel what promise is he talking about what would seem from chapter one verses 13 and 14 it's the promise of the indwelling holy spirit the point Paul seems to be making is that all partakers of this promise of the Holy Spirit have the very life of God in the Spirit living within them. There is no believer, hear me, there is no believer who lacks the power to obey the Lord. There is nothing to stand behind an <laughs> Excuse, ladies. There is no believer who is a second class uh, person or status with Christ. This is the truth of the mystery of the Church of Christ. We apply these truths by showing the same honor and respect for every believer we meet, even though they're different, even though we may not like them personality wise, but we show them love and respect. We must have special love for the household of God. We are family. Then Paul goes on to talk about his call to be a minister in verse 7, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. Paul was an apostle, a missionary, a church planter, an evangelist, uh, a Bible teacher. Yet here he identifies himself as a minister. We get the Greek word deacon from this verse. Uh, We get the word from this word deacon in Greek, which means someone who serves. And we know it's an official capacity in the church, men who are qualified to come along and serve with the elders in the church. And it basically means one who serves others. The word simply means that. And Paul is saying that God made him a minister, one who serves others. It took place on the road to Damascus where the Lord called him to go to the Gentiles. Realize God doesn't call individuals audibly like he did Paul on the road to Damascus because we now have the word of God, the total New Testament, to test the guiding of the Lord as we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. However, ministry is still a calling. One well-known pastor wrote this. I don't see how anyone could survive in the ministry if he felt it was just his own choice. Some ministers scarcely have two good days back to back. They are sustained by the knowledge that God has placed them where they are. Ministers without such a conviction often lack courage to carry out uh, the ministry and they carry their resignation letter in their pocket. At the slightest hint of difficulty, they're gone. Well, Paul saw this calling to be a minister as a privilege and as a gift from God. He didn't choose to be a minister. But he recognized this was a grace given to serve his Lord in this way, according to the working of God's power in his life. The gospel transformed Paul. The gospel equipped him, the Lord equipped him with the gifts and abilities to communicate divine revelation. In verse 8, we see the character of God revealed. And really, we see in Paul what should be the truth about everyone who's called into ministry to me the very least of all saints this grace was given to preach to the gentiles the unfathomable riches of christ paul's not trying to be modest here oh no tell me i'm really great now he is really saying how he feels about himself he felt he was less than the least he felt he was the smallest of all saints Paul had such a high view of God's holiness and he had such a clear understanding of his own sinful heart. Therefore, he was able to make a very honest assessment of himself and is called a ministry. He was totally unworthy and he was humbled that God called him. How unlike countless ministers today who believe they and of themselves are God's gift to the church and they believe that they are adequate to do the work. There is no place for pride in the heart of those who are to serve the body of Christ. I love what Lloyd-Jones put in his book, Preaching and Preachers. He said, A man who feels that he is competent and that he can do this easily and so rushes to preach without any sense of fear or trembling or any hesitation whatsoever is a man who is proclaiming that he has never been called to be a preacher. The man who is called by God is a man who realizes what he is called to do. And he so realizes the awfulness of the test that he shrinks from it. 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 give us the 20 qualifications for a man to be an elder in the ministry of teaching God's word. And the emphasis is always on humility, leading the flock by example and humility. In verses 8 and 9, Paul speaks of the content of his preaching. He says the unfathomable riches of Christ and the administration of mystery. I always found that confusing. But the word unfathomable is not a word easily translated from Greek to English. It speaks of infinite, unending riches of Christ. There is no limit. It is inexhaustible. The riches of Christ is everything that we don't have without him. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, mercy, love, all things to enjoy, it's all from him. In Jesus Christ, believers have spiritual wealth. Ladies, it's inexhaustible. It is everything Paul wrote about in chapter one. This is the content that is to be taught by every minister serving a local church. In verse 9, Paul speaks of his preaching ministry to enlighten believers as to how God is managing his church. Paul proclaimed the mutual membership in the body of Christ as all have been reconciled to each other. In other words, a minister is to preach how believers are to relate to one another, how they're to treat one another, how they're to love and serve each other. This is what ministry involves, preaching the gospel to the lost and preaching the riches that we have in Christ, and preaching what our relationship should be with one another. Now, the reason God has revealed this mystery, the church, is seen in verse 10, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be known throughout the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know, angels are a popular subject. Even people who reject Scripture and the authority of Scripture in their life, they certainly like to gleam out things about angels from the Bible, right? only it's, it's their own thinking. But do you realize that the angels in heaven are being instructed by the, about the wisdom of God as they see the mystery of the church being lived out through you and me? Various ranks of holy angels observe the church, and in doing so, they see the demonstration of God's wisdom. When believers function properly in their local church, God is glorified, and these angels, as a result, they understand more about the wisdom of God. The church, both local and universal, does not exist for us, but for the glory of God. Certainly, the angels know a great deal about the wisdom of God. They were there when he created the world, the universe, people called, wrote the law, called the nation of Israel had the whole redemption through the life and death and resurrection of Christ come to be, and yet they grow in understanding of how wise God is as they observe the church. Is that mind-bending? To quote one author, the manifold wisdom of God refers to the infinite diversity and brilliance of God's wisdom. Now they, that is the angels, see the various tints and colors and the great sparkling diversity of his wisdom that they were not aware existed before. First Peter one ten through twelve talks about the predicted sufferings of Christ and the gospel being preached. You remember it says things into which angels long to look. They long to get a clear glimpse as they've never experienced salvation. The angels have seen a lot, but never anything as amazing as the church where God has brought people together who once hated each other and now love each other, sacrifice for each other, and serve each other. All of this is in accordance with the eternal purpose which is carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church was never plan B because Israel wasn't going to receive their Messiah. This has been in the heart and mind of God from eternity past. And not revealed until Christ came and accomplished redemption through his death. And verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him, so we can boldly approach the throne of grace. Paul had told them in verse 1 that he was a prisoner of the Lord because of his preaching the gospel to them as he was doing the will of God. And now he, he's going to return to that thought where he left off in verse 1. In verse 13, he says, Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your glory. He didn't want them being downcast because he was in prison. And he was in prison because he preached to them. The truth about Gentiles being saved and included in the body of Christ to Paul was worth suffering and dying for. We dare not take for granted the local church ladies. It's not there for you if you feel like it if you're there at any given time or you're going to grace its presence. No, you need to love this body Christ purchased with his blood. God values his body. The angels learn by observing his body as they watch us function in a local church setting. That brings us to Paul's prayer for these believers, which is so pertinent and applicable for us. Paul's prayer for their enablement. He petitions on their behalf, And these are all a connected progression and sequential um, prayer requests that he is praying. He says, for this reason, now we're back to verse 1 where he began. For this reason, okay, for this reason, uh, I bow my knees before the Father. This expression was first stated in verse 1 of our chapter, referring back to the truths about believers being reconciled to one another in God that he had just got done talking about in chapter 2 before there's no chapter division to chapter 3. Paul is on his knees in deep reverence for God. There's many postures for prayer and in humility and reverence. He's on his knees. And he says, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. Paul's referring to believers of every age who are all family, whether having gone on to heaven or still on earth. God is the father of both Old Testament believers, New Testament believers, Jew, Gentile, alive, passed on to glory. And with reverence, Paul is seeking the Lord. And what is he asking the Lord to do? Because this is how you need to pray. This is how I need to pray for ourselves and for everybody we are praying for. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. Don't you want somebody praying that for you today? (laughs) Paul asked that God would grant them according to the riches of who he is so that they would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit. He's asking for the power of God through the Spirit to strengthen who you are in your inner man so that they could live strong Christian lives, so that they would obey the Word, so that they would live in unity with others, as he's just been teaching them. This strength in the inner man is absolutely necessary for us to overcome temptation of anger, bitterness, resentment, forgiveness, It's necessary for overcoming temptation And it also it's necessary for us to yield ourselves to the spirit By exposing our minds to his word with a willing heart to obey when he shows us when we're sinning The only way we can preserve the unity of the spirit in the body of christ Is to be strengthened in the inner man As we submit to the spirit and die to our flesh You know, you can know all the truths and scriptures. You can have memorized all kinds of verses about loving one another and all the one another passages we're familiar with. You can know all about that, but it's only when you yield to the control of the Spirit and have strength from Him that you will have the internal fortitude (coughs) to truly love people, difficult people, unpleasant people, maybe people in your household, maybe people in your church, in your neighborhood in your workplace. He goes on to pray, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this Greek word dwell has the thought behind it of someone who takes up permanent residence and is comfortable. When believers yield to the control of the spirit and obey his word, Jesus Christ will settle down and be comfortable and at home in your heart. He is comfortable where he's loved and obeyed. Certainly, he indwells every believer, but the question is is he comfortable indwelling you if you know him? Is he welcomed in your home and in your heart? If there abides unconfessed sin or unrepented sinful attitudes in our hearts that you do not let go of, he is not comfortable with you. He is grieved with you. He demands being Lord over every area of our life, our marriage how we interact with our children, how we speak to people, our possessions, our plans, our recreation, our vacation, our hobbies, our clothes, what we eat, our entertainment, everything he is to be Lord over and comfortable with your decisions and everything that you do. Paul goes on to pray, and that you being rooted and grounded in love, When Christ is at home in our hearts and he has unrestricted access to every area of our life, then our life, it will be characterized by love. This love is rooted and it's grounded. When he reigns in our hearts, then our love will be like a well-rooted tree and a well-built house. This is the only way you're going to be able to love other believers that make up the local church you're a part of. Oh, to have the mindset of a godly man from centuries ago who said, my business is to love others, not to see that others shall love me. How rare is that kind of thinking? Our, our thinking, most people in the church, is what is somebody going to do to serve me today? Help me, help me, love me, be there for me. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, I'm going to say his quote again. My business is to love others, not to see that others shall love me. That's only going to happen when his love flows through children surrendered to him. As one author put it, the absence of love is the presence of sin. Only as you are cultivating your relationship with Jesus and obeying his word, moment by moment, you will be able to love unlovely people. His love is expressed through his children that are surrendered to him. So do you see the importance of praying this way? Praying to be rooted and grounded in love. Failure to love isn't because of the behavior of the people around you. Failure to love is because of your own lack of spirituality. Paul goes on to pray, and that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth, and to know the love of Christ, filled up to the fullness of God. To comprehend means to lay hold of something, to take possession of it. Truths about Christ's love are to be apprehended, grabbed hold of by all believers. Paul speaks of the fullness and vastness of the love of God that it can't be measured. We may not be able to fully grasp and comprehend all of Christ's love because it's infinite. And yet, it's our responsibility to know as much about his love as we can. The breath of his love embraces multitudes of people. It's broad enough to include you and me. Wow, that's pretty broad. <laughs> the heights of his love will take us to glory one day where we will live in a glorified body and in his presence forever as he takes us out of the grave. The Depths of his love is seen at the cross where he left the glories of heaven to come to this fallen world and be crucified and saved to pray sinners like you and me. When love dominates our life and is the priority of our thinking and of our life, then we will know to some extent the vastness of Christ's love. And the more you love Christ and his people, the more capacity he gives you to love and understand people and you understand more about him. We are to be imitators of God and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. Paul closes this prayer by saying now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us to be the to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul believed God was going to answer this prayer. And even do far more than he could imagine. Not only is God able to do what we ask him to do, but he's able to do abundantly beyond what we can even imagine. The power of God to make people like us loving, kind, forgiving, thoughtful, gracious. (laughs) That is the work of God. He does the impossible. And for what reason does he answer this prayer? so that he will be glorified in his church forever. Remember last week we talked about when we come to faith that in eternity past, God has ordained good works for you to do because he is making you a piece of art. You are a masterpiece in the making as he is making you a trophy of grace that will be reason for him to be glorified for all of eternity. So will you let the Lord transform you? He is able to make you, if you know him, the most loving Christ-like person ever. Will you take seriously this pray, this prayer? Will you pray it for yourself? Will you pray it for those you love? Will you walk in obedience to his word today? Just this, when you leave here, <laughs> when you get up, will you love and serve others? And what steps are you going to take to do that? Because, you know, it doesn't happen because you wish it to happen. I wish I were nicer the next person that you're going to come across today which was only a moments away to say or do something or behave in a way that is annoying to you whether it's a total stranger in a car diving down the street or the one you walk into your house this is your next opportunity to yield to the Lord to show love and compassion and kindness is Jesus at home and comfortable in your life? Or do you grieve him by your sin and make your life a place of sorrow for him, sorrow where he dwells in you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for this truth of the church that angels are watching us and learning about you from us. Lord, I pray that we would not shame or distort the beauty of the body of Christ by our sinful behavior towards each other. And I pray that we would be examples of your mercy and trophies of grace as you make us who you want us to be. Lord, I pray for each of us that we would incorporate and memorize and pray this type of prayer for one another to be rooted and grounded, to be strengthened in the inner man. Lord, we can't do this Christian walk on our own. I pray that we would give you glory today as we walk out of here. And I I know that we have our own flesh to struggle with. I know we have Satan to battle with. And we have the world's temptations. And we're going to walk out of here, Lord. Help us not to just forget it and move on. But to really take seriously the truth from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.